It's another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. But before we get into it, are you subscribed? If not, please make sure to subscribe, like and share the video and spread the word. Because the Christian Reeve podcast is here to stay. I love doing this and I love all of you that support me. So thank you. And yeah, let's get into this podcast, shall we? Boom! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. Today's guest is an iOS developer, a film producer, a writer. He wears many hats. His name is Yaz Garewal. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Actually, jazz. Jazz. Ah, No, it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) This is the second time in like the last couple of episodes where I got someone's name slightly off. And it's like, oh, man, I was I was so sure it was this way. Jazz. Okay, I do (laughs) apologize. Okay. No, no worries. Um, Yeah, let's 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 jump straight into it. You are a iOS developer for the Bank of America. Tell us a little bit about this role and what it involves, um, what it's like working for them. Actually, so I made the switch from B of A just recently to CVS now. Okay, wow. So yeah, so CVS, uh, you know, is a pharmacy chain in in the U.S. Um, oh, so it's and... not the television. Uh, no, no. So now, yeah, right. I always get that C- CBS versus CVS. So it's V as oh, CBS. Yes, okay. exactly. Right, right. So right. Uh, yeah, so an iOS developer for them. So same role, uh, just different company. Um, it's been interesting uh, between the two of them because, you know, I started at B of A briefly back in um, around this time of last year mm-hmm. um, after leaving a, a job as a all around software developer for okay. a small kind of boutique agency. I was with them for five years um, and, you know, 2020 was, uh, I feel like a chaotic year for everybody. I think that, you know, uh, is you know kind of uh minimizes what happened you know in 2020 but uh <laughs> it uh you know was basically uh kind of upheaval for me in terms of leaving that company in january you know starting with b of a which you know was a different um environment because it's you know it's a big enterprise uh you know working at a bank and and you know seeing that and then transitioning over to cvs and again seeing a different big enterprise um and yeah, but it's, it's uh, been fun. Um, part of the move, you know, part of the reason why I moved from the smaller place to V of A and then CVS was to kind of refocus on iOS development. And it's been nice to kind of laser focus on, on one area instead of doing, uh, you know, before I was doing iOS, Android and web app development. You work for sort of larger organizations. Um do you get more micromanaged or are you kind of just left to your own devices as far as the app development is concerned? Like how much kind of involvement is there? Let's say, okay, for example, if you're working for a smaller company versus working for a larger company, how often do you find yourself kind of saying like, Hey, I can do this, like leave it to me versus, you know, just kind of being given uh, let's say a project and just running with it for six months. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, obviously, with the smaller company, um, you know, I was, you know, in charge of, you know, whenever we had a client, it was setting up their backend, setting up the server, and doing everything that the app or apps required. Um, so I definitely had free reign. With B of A and CVS, 
the, I wouldn't necessarily call it micromanaging, but more, I think just the way it's set up, um, everything's, you know, instead of, you know, again, I had like free reign from start to finish with everything with larger companies, you know, I, I'm put on a team that's specifically, you know, in CBS's case, I work on just, you know, the start page that everybody mm. sees in the app. And given that it's kind of intrinsic that like, okay, that is, you know, my domain. I don't really go outside that, you know, so there's basic uh, restrictions from the get go um, with that kind of uh, setup and modularization of it. So it's not direct, like uh, people saying, Hey, do it this way, do it that way. It's more, this is where I can work. And within that realm, yeah, I, I'm pretty free to do what I want uh, to, to get a feature out or get a bug fixed. Uh, but, you know, I don't stray too far. And when I need to, if there's something that requires outside, it, it is kind of meetings, coordinating with people. There's, that's been a lot, you know, different, uh, which I like. I, I, you know, went from being a solo developer per app you know i was part of a development team and we'd meet regularly and, and discuss but never really totally worked with other developers at the smaller company whereas this is definitely very much a team-based environment and the reason i ask is that like it, it's kind of interesting to me I've, I've spoken with quite a few different uh developers on the show and, and just in general like I, I come from a marketing background so it's like a different field entirely but the thing that i've noticed over the years is that uh, there, there is this kind of like imaginary box, let's say, where, uh, you know, if your creative ideas fit within that box, that's okay. But if they go outside of that box, it's like, well, we're just not going to do that. And that can usually be a corporate thing. And that's why I use the term micromanagement, which often has negative connotations. And I don't necessarily uh, mean it to have, have that. I mean, I think sometimes you know, it can be good to have a manager or a team leader that kind of guides the project. But I don't know, it depends. For me, I've always kind of preferred just being given the project and I deal with it and then I come back to you or I give you like fairly regular updates and stuff like that. Now, obviously app development, software development is very different from marketing for obvious reasons. But the thing that I keep hearing from developers that is that they have a, a, a great deal of creativity as far as like coding is concerned. And, you know, just, just in general, being able to kind of be given a space with which to do that. But I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, YouTuber Joshua Fluke, for example, I don't know, just throwing that out. No, there. no. Okay. It's, it's, it's not especially important, okay. but the reason I bring him up is because he's, involved in coding he's involved with this sort of background and he made a transition uh from sort of like from that sort of uh how do i put this god my mind's going blank let's say that sphere the corporate sphere the corporate environment yeah yeah to, to like his own thing you know first freelance and then just eventually setting up his own business uh where he sort of works for himself and i find it very interesting him talking about his experiences and I feel like I can relate to a lot of that on a corporate level as far as dealing with teams and stuff like that. But I do find the difference um, very different, obviously, between marketing and, and, and uh, app development because you guys do tend to get a lot of free reigns. But there is still this kind of difference as far as company to company because some companies will give you a lot more, some companies will give you a lot less. And I guess that's kind of what I'm intrigued to learn from you is like how, how much sort of creative freedom are you afforded by each of the companies that you've worked for. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, and, and you know, uh, you said the YouTuber was Joshua Fluke? That's his name, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of had a reverse uh, path than him. I started out freelance oh, okay. and then went to this, you know, boutique agency. And then, you know, so I went, so yeah, I, we basically passed each other on our career paths. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of free reign, there's definitely, um, I think the main limitations I see is, you know, not being able to use the latest and greatest um, iOS tech because we're still supporting, um, you know, older versions of iOS. Whereas oh, at the smaller company, the, the apps I was working on were for the most part kind of built ground up. So I could in this, <clears throat> it's like a new way for um, iOS uh, user interfaces to be, to be coded, to interact with data and all that. Um, I won't be touching that for a while uh, professionally at, uh, at the you know, current company. So there is that restriction. Uh, but in terms of executing, um, I think CBS, there's definitely a, more freedom in terms of defining kind of what I get to, you know, how I approach different things. Uh, at B of A, they definitely were a lot more... Um, kind of stringent about uh, and strict about what their code, what how code can be implemented, how code can be architected. Um, so, you know, they're definitely, and, and that was surprising actually, you know, one large company is not the same as another, you know, when mm. it comes to how they approach. They different, you know, they definitely do the same, you know, in terms of uh, project management, it's, it's agile. Uh, so, and I, I didn't, you know, this is 2020 was the first time I've had to deal with agile <laughs> management um, or project management. Um, so it's been interesting. Uh, it, it hasn't been a hindrance. It's just been more kind of like, okay, I've got to learn the terminology. I'm not sure what you guys are talking about, but I know what you guys want. <laughs> so um, okay, well, well, yeah, let's explore that a little bit more. Okay. Like um, tell us what you were used to sure. well, the work process you were used to before and then like how it's changed as far as okay so you mentioned terminology but what are the other factors that's sort of vastly different yeah it looks like um so yeah i mean the you know going from the smaller company um the smaller agency to you know at the smaller agency it was all about you know getting delivered designs um, or uh, UX uh, flows and using that to kind of break down what, uh, you know, what the app requires um, at the back end, at the app level um, and breaking those out into stories. You know, in some ways it kind of felt like a loose agile, like looking back on it, it felt like a loose agile um, kind of system, but there weren't sprints or anything like that. It was just, you know, from beginning to end, here's what we needed for, here's what we need for the app. And we would, you know, ticket those out, um, give estimations on each one, and then just start knocking them out. Um, and, and do it in such a way that, you know, sometimes developers would switch, like, you know, uh, another developer would jump on that project, I'd be put on a different project, they'd be able to pick it up and run, run with it. Um, and basically, what it comes down to, you know, with B of A and with um, CVS is, I guess, it's more of a strict form of that, you know, you have sprints, you know, which I knew, you know, what they were coming into it beforehand, just having heard uh, people talk about them, just, you know, 
two week or three week long, mm. uh, you know, basically, uh, uh, what is it? Just lengths of time to get a certain amount of work done. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just other things like the, uh, I think with, with agile, and I think safe agile in, project, in particular, that's what, uh, I believe B of A was using, uh, although I wasn't totally sure, but <clears throat> with CVS it's safe agile. So there's trains and, um, all that, which are, I guess, just, you know, just different ways of how you kind of, uh, organize, um, you know, teams and down to the different level. And in some ways it's almost kind of, you know, military in a way like, or Marine, like, you know, you got your, your fire team and your platoon or whatever, you know, but not the same terminology, obviously, but it, it has that kind of, uh, feel to it. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, so you've also worked as a, as a mobile app developer and software developer. I know obviously iOS counts as mobile app, but like yeah. that's more of a one specific area. And like you said, you're, you're yeah. kind of f- focusing on a specific version um, and everything. And there's a lot of work obviously involved with that because iOS, there's just constant stuff that you have to work with and, and update and so on and so forth. But um, let's talk about the other projects that you've done in mobile app development and software development. Like how does that differ? How did you get into that line of work? And um, what do you enjoy most about it? Yeah. So, you know, mobile and software development, it was just basically casting my net wider in a way. Like I started off as an iOS developer when I started development, actually I can go back to like, I, so I wasn't, I'm not a software developer but this is, you know, a career change for me um, okay. from, I think that was back in 2012 is when I made the pivot. Cause prior to that, I went to school for, you know, media arts. I was uh, doing uh, music production, interning at a recording studio, uh, got out of school, started doing um, editing for a local news station here, a local NBC affiliate, then worked with an independent company for a while. And as that company was kind of you know, winding down, I, I was kind of getting burnt out on post-production in general. Mm. Um, I'd been doing a lot of my own projects as well, film production, uh, you know, had a crew, we'd shoot, you know, n- shorts, we did one feature. Um, and so as it was happening, yeah, as I was kind of winding down at the company, I was like, you know, I think it might be, you know, either after, yeah, I'm based in Tucson, Arizona, you know, which is geographically, it's close to LA, but would still, you know, if I wanted to continue, I'd have to, you know, relocate, relocate yeah. to LA basically at that point. And it was like, do I want to do that? Do I want to kind of in some way start from the beginning there? Or do I want to kind of see what else is out there? And, and so I just kind of got into iOS development because actually on a, a shoot, my director of photography just offhandedly said, it'd be nice to have a iPad app to be able to log clips as we shoot them. So once we get to, you know, into Final Cut Pro, we have notes, we have, you know, best takes already marked. I was like, let me try my hand at that and <laughs> see what I can do. And got 70% on the way through when the company was starting to wind down. I was like, you know what, let me, let me give this a try. And so that's how I got into freelancing, kind of built up a for- portfolio and got it with that uh, smaller agency. And Within that agency, they, um, after about a year there, they had a client who not only wanted an iPhone app, but also wanted us to take on their Android app as well. And I was, I'd been looking into Android and I said, you know what, let me give that a go and let's see what we can do. And yeah, and so expanded. And so that's where my, you know, umbrella expanded beyond iOS into, you know, mobile development at that point to, you know, I was able to 
work with both kind of architect um, between the two. So, you know, even though it's a different ecosystem and a different environment, uh, somebody jumping in from, you know, the iOS to the Android side to fix something for both apps could, you know, find, you know, where the, uh, what, what needed to be fixed where. Um, and, and so that was, that was fun and, and also frustrating too, because you see the strengths of the strength and weaknesses of both. And it's just like, if I could combine, you know, the best of both, you know, we'd have the perfect mobile platform. Um, and so, uh, from there, that same client, actually, they decided they wanted a web app at that point, um, as well. And so that's where I expanded into web development and, and kind of, you know, basically at that point, just, you know, had the app developer hat, um, just cause that umbrella expanded so big. Um, and so the nice thing between the two is that, or sorry, the nice thing with having that app developer hat was never being bored, right. You know, just jumping between each technology, um, kind of, uh, finding my way through everything and also thinking um, at a higher level about, you know, the architecture of not just architecting this. So, you know, it works and, and it makes sense um, as an iOS code base, but also thinking, okay, generally, how do I architect these? So, you know, they, so somebody jumping from, like I said, you know, jumping from the iOS code base to the Android code base isn't totally lost. Like this is, you know, totally doing it differently than iOS. I don't know, you know, if I make a fix here, it'll break something down there. But then again, at the same time, there's the getting spread too thin <laughs> problem and, and kind of getting burnt out. And I think that happened to me um, towards the end of 2019 or actually beginning of 2019. And, and that's when I, I realized, okay, you know what, let's step back and let's, let's focus on one thing and kind of go back to the roots of uh, iOS development. I see. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense actually, as far as uh, focusing in one area. I know, I know I, I kind of feel like it's the same with, with marketing. Like um, unfortunately I've been out of work for about a year now, uh, but all of the job applications that I see, they want you to basically work everywhere and marketing just like software development is a very vast field. I mean, you've got technical end, you've got uh, just pure analytics, you've got, you know, just standard uh, conventional copy through old methods, then new digital marketing, then social media. I mean, it's just so many different spheres and it's like each of them can have several jobs within them, but they expect you to just work everywhere and do everything. And it's just not realistic, but yeah, yeah right. I mean, actually do you mind if i ask you what what uh so what's your kind of specialty with marketing or where did you find your oh right yeah um well i i majored in uh, management with marketing um but like predominantly it's always been content uh social media and analytics those have been my main areas but um yeah i know like seo i know all that but my, my main right. interest has always been creative and um you know, I kind of dabble in everything else, but that's where I tend to focus on. That's what I'm most interested in. But I don't know, I'm getting more and more into stats because especially with my content creation, with things like YouTube and podcasting, you know, I, I like I even had a role at one point where my job was just purely analytics. And it is interesting, but I think it depends on the content that you're working with and like how kind of passionate you are about that. Like the time I had that professional role, 
uh, I was working for like a trading company. So like it was kind of interesting to some extent, but at the same time, there was like a ceiling on how well the content would do because right. most people generally speaking wouldn't um, check out, you know, financial trading on somewhere like YouTube. Like it, they have like their own uh, online space, if you like, like threads and stuff like that. Yeah, Whereas, right. With my own content right now, you know, obviously the home is on YouTube or, or somewhere like TikTok or Instagram or whatever. So like right. that's, you know what I mean? And you, and you get much more rich uh, analytics as far as things like demographics and you know, age range and just all of these factors. And that, that makes it just much more interesting in general. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's uh, for that. Uh, in terms of content, you're not necessarily print content, right? You're or into video, audio, kind of multimedia content. Is that right? Or um, everything really. Um, I mean, I've never dealt with physical print okay. media. I've only ever dealt with like digital. Right. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean print. Yeah, I meant digital print. Right. Yeah. No, I've I've like, I've worked. I've just, I've yeah, worked yeah, yeah, yeah. Paper print has kind of gone. <laughs> I mean, it's it's still there. Okay, it cool, still works cool. for certain for certain uh, companies. I think there is still a major demand for, especially. Um, now that we're sort of heading so far into like the digital world, you know, there's this kind of uh, almost demand for, you know, physical media, phys phys just physical objects in general, you know? So, I mean, there's always going to be a market for it, but yeah, gone are the days of it being like the, the main kind of right. outlet. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess you see that with, with vinyl kind of, if you think yeah. about music. You know, well, right. I mean, so I the, we'll vinyl has surpassed CD, which blew yeah. my mind. But it, right, right, that's crazy. Because it's like <laughs> yeah. it's, CD has never been like. Well, I don't know. Actually, I was going to say it's never been attractive, but then again, you know, all of the cool sort of features of CD were always the inside stuff. You know, like the the booklets and and the lyric books and stuff like that. Which you, I suppose you could still get with vinyl, but the main draw of vinyl is is actually the CDs themselves, and then the uh all the vinyls i should say and then the actual packaging is, uh, is yeah as well. so, but you right. could in theory get all of the stuff that you get with cd with vinyl so i, I don't know it's... yeah yeah it is interesting because i mean i mean there was the ease of use with cd right like and you know you you could scratch a cd granted but i think but at the same time like you have the ease of use now with streaming so you know i, I think there is yeah a novelty factor with vinyl which makes sense for it too it's more, you know, CDs on the decline, vinyls having resurgence, and they kind of pass each other at a, I think, you know, it's not going to be anywhere near what CDs were bringing into labels before, profit-wise, but it's definitely enough to blow the dust off a few uh, vinyl factories uh, to meet the, the new demand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me because I kind of just assumed that once you know, everything went online and digital that we would just never look back. Cause I mean, there was loads of other things that died a death, you know, like tape cassettes, you know, if, if I, yeah. if I try and tell like, I don't know, my eldest brother, what a tape cassette is, he'd be like, what? I mean, he might know it. I don't know. He's a clever kid, but like hundred percent, he's probably never, he's probably never seen one unless he's seen some of my dad's old stuff, but it's just something that's just kind of gone, gone by. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. Swept it's 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 died a death but then 
yeah, like those vinyl stores were always around. CDs are still sold to this day. Um, But I think the most interesting thing that I saw happen, or at least what I think is interesting, is the fact that like when new records are made, they make a vinyl version. Like I kind of thought like the draw would always be in like classic vinyls and people would always just be you know on a collector's basis and like oh yeah i've got the first version of the sex pistols first record or something you know it's like you've you've got the first version you get as collectors like i got that element but to see new uh musician or sorry new bands new music coming out with the vinyl option that that was very interesting but i guess it makes sense yeah yeah i mean definitely i mean i think I, i mean there still is that collector's mentality i feel like too with it you know um but yeah it is i mean it definitely is interesting that and just to see the random places vinyl pops up you know for Mm. sale like it's it's interesting so it'll be interesting to see where it goes if it you know has legs for a while i mean it's been yeah the resurgence has been around for a while so yeah i think it'll continue especially i think if anything it'll get stronger and stronger throughout the years because you know we're (sighs) technology is moving so fast at the moment that I don't think we're noticing just how quickly it is moving. But at the the same time, it's moving very fast, but it isn't. You know what I mean? It's like there's certain things that still exist that in theory shouldn't exist given the technological power that we have. But at the same time, we are restricted. So like, you know, gas powered cars right uh is a good example like we in theory we don't need them at all we don't need them but we like having them we like that you know what i mean i guess the nostalgia factor or or the fact that you know we still got uh fossil fuels that we're using um but in theory we could just have only electric cars why don't we have that you know what i mean it's it's and there's other things. I mean, for example, uh, the fact that we even have, um, if we take it back to marketing, the fact that we even have physical, you know, things like billboards uh, that are print only. Like I get that we've got like the interactive ones right. now, but you still see classic uh, print, uh, classic print posters, you know, old, old styles of uh, marketing and sales that, you would think wouldn't work, but they still work. I mean, Jesus, there's people still doing door-to-door sales. I mean, it's, yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like, how does that still work? But it does. It does work. It's weird. Yeah. Or like well, leaf, I, leaflet marketing is a really good one. I get oh, yeah, so many right. leaflets for like pizza joints or takeaway places. And I'm like, what's the point? But I guess right. in a way it's kind of useful, but like everything's done through apps now, you know? It's like, yeah, right. Well, I, I feel like, I mean, so in the case of billboards and even um, gas cars, it's kind of the, you know, there's the infrastructure legacy, right? Like right. how much does it take to convert that billboard to digital? And so I feel like, you know, there might be, you know, just kind of holding on to that, um, especially if like given the traffic around, you know, so in Tucson, like we don't have uh, anywhere near the population of like New York, you know, right. New York City. And so converting billboards around that area makes sense to digital because you can, you got a lot of eyes going by it. And so you want to A, be able to rotate, you know, uh, mm. what's showing on it and maximize how many people see it. Whereas in Tucson, you know, we have I-10, you know, this one freeway that goes goes kind of on the outskirts of it. And, you know, there's some uh, billboards leading in and out of it, but not enough eyes on it, I think, to justify going digital. And 
I'm sure there's some billboards there that have been, you know, the same ad since, you know, for like the past two, three decades. So, and then it's kind of mad. It's mad when that happens. But I I get your point. It's a very solid point. If you don't need to spend the money, like why spend it? Like, yeah, right. Well, if I mean, it all comes down to the ROI, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's, a solid point. I mean, like you said, if there's not going to be enough eyeballs on it or, to put it a better way, if there's not going to be enough conversions from right. that investment, uh, obviously return on investment, then uh, <laughs> there's just going to be no point in the investment in the first place. But, you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's still companies that dump tons upon tons into, like Coca-Cola, I've mentioned this before on, on the podcast. It still astounds me how much money they put into advertising. But I guess in a way it keeps the brand forever strengthened. I mean, but I wonder like what would happen if they just wouldn't advertise for like a year? Like what, what would that do? Would it make a difference? Would it affect their stock price shares? Would it affect uh, the sales? Like part of me feels like, nah, it wouldn't. It's such a well-known brand. But then part of me is like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, cause I mean, they've established the brand, right? So the, the can itself and the bottles themselves are part of the advertisement. Uh, but I think again, like actually that kind of goes to the old school infrastructure too, like, but just internally a Coke, like they have this way of doing marketing yeah. that I think just changing the, uh, the way that shit moves, you know, in terms of really changing up how they market is just not in the cards for them. I think even if they, kept seeing you know lower and lower conversions for for print and tv marketing and more for you know online i'm not sure how much that would get them to change their marketing plan you know quickly you know it's not going to move you know basically at the the pace of tech right i i feel like that's that's part of it is you've got these institutions who are and and going back to fossil fuels too you have these oil companies who are not going to let go of their their control over mm. you know who makes what car kind of thing and I mean not conspiracy theory wise but but I think there's you know vested interests between the you know the oil companies or actually more so on the oil companies to keep gas cars on the road yeah I mean I, I reckon it's one of those things that if you're a major company earning that much money on a daily basis you probably only really tend to look at these things and start cutting, making cuts when you're actually losing money um, or on a noticeable scale. So if you're Coca-Cola, I mean, <laughs> it would take a lot for you to notice your losses. But I mean, if we take the pandemic for as an example, you know, people being less able to be in all of the different areas that Coke is sold. I mean, obviously Coke is sold everywhere. So it's not a massively going to affect you know purchasing but it's still a valid point that there might be some areas uh let's say holiday destinations where people are not frequenting as much therefore the sales of coke in those areas might decrease therefore they might have to sort of say okay we need to make cuts in certain areas you know in order to just you know make sure we're not wasting money uh unnecessarily but again i think it would take a lot for a company like that to really you know because i think like you say, they, they've got this established infrastructure there where they probably, if they look at things like ad spend or, or like how much money we're going to spend on this particular thing for the, you know, obviously every company has budgets. They have, you know, okay, this is our budget for this quarter. This is the budget for this quarter. And 
I feel like, you know, like I've worked in companies where the budget was really high and we didn't need to spend it, but they just spend it anyway. Cause like, why not? And it's like, that was kind of blew my mind. Like if you don't need to spend it, like save it, use it for next quarter. I don't know. Like this seems weird to just spend it cause you have it, but. Yeah, well, I wonder if it that like because I know with um, you know especially government side spending here, you know, if a department doesn't spend their budget, then <laughs> their budget's lowered the next, you know, right. whatever the next yeah, term yeah, is. Yeah, so yeah. I wonder if it's that if it's like we've got to spend it. <laughs> oh, absolutely, it could be. It could be. Um, moving it forward, like what are the major challenges associated with being a mobile app developer and a, and a software developer, or just you know, development in general? Like, what are the main things that make it difficult that challenge you on a daily basis on a daily basis um you know really these days it's uh sad to say but it's what did apple break in this release kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) damn yeah like so actually last year i switched from an iphone to uh android pixel um just to see you know what android was like um you know keeping up with it but also because ios 13 was just such a mess, like um, on the development side, I could see, you know, it was just introducing, and, and Apple seems to have this up and down cycle of they release something which just, uh, which just kind of breaks a lot of things on both the development side, but also on the user side. Mm. And iOS 13 was one of those. And I was just like, all right, I'm gonna take a break from iOS and, uh, you know, from the iPhone and check out Android. Um, and so it is just a matter of, you know, what are we, what, what kind of work around, what's not going to work as expected when I try to implement a feature and how am I going to go, you know, how am I going to fix that? And there's, there's things that, you know, given the years um, I know from the get go, like it still hasn't been fixed or still behaves weird. And you have to do this weird little trick to get it to work. Uh, or, you know, this will not work in certain situations. And so I have to, be mindful of either are we going to hit that situation and do I have to work around it or are we not? You know, so, so those, yeah, that's the challenge there. Um, It's not necessarily with iOS in general, it's not necessarily trying to keep up with the changes. I I think they do a good job of making the changes iterative. iterative. So, um, you know, they might pack in some new features that make things a little easier um i i mentioned swift ui earlier that that is a big change and it does require uh a little bit more um you know kind of research of learning what those changes uh how those changes will impact or not even impact um it's just it's a different way of doing development um for ios uh that is optional you can use it or you don't have to use it you can use the existing way which of course where I'm at right now, you know, because we're not going to be just supporting iOS 13 and above, we're not going to jump on that. So, uh, but I mean, on a broader sense, I think when I was doing more broad range development, uh, especially with web app development, there, there was the keeping up with technology, keeping up with new frameworks or keeping up with new ways that, you know, the frameworks change just because that is definitely more of um, an open source environment and so having those you know frameworks change all the time having new frameworks do um you know fancier things or do things more securely having to keep up with that knowledge that was the challenge there so which mobile app 
software do you think is the best one or, or the best, maybe let's say the best for the user uh, in general? Um, it's going to sound like I'm biased. I, I'm going to say iOS, uh, okay. but I, I think when I was using it, like iOS, it just feels, you know, iPhone, uh, having used the, uh, the pixel for a year, um, there were things with it. Like it, it definitely comes down to like a PC versus Mac debate, right? Right. It, okay. PC, I always know, you know, with Windows machines, it always feels like after a year, it's kind of getting sluggish. And, you know, I, I remember when I owned, you know, Windows machines, it was, that was around the time you'd want to reformat and restore backup and it would, you know, be on its feet again. The Pixel was the same thing. After about a year, battery life was, you know, getting pretty funky um weird things would happen like i'd be listening to spotify and i'd want to take a picture and that would just reset my phone um so <laughs> but there were awesome features on there too that um you know apple needs to catch up with like uh the call screening feature having it um screen calls that it didn't recognize and letting me see like it, um i don't know are you familiar with that feature have you heard about that the basically basically what happens is if a phone comes through or sorry if a phone call comes through that you don't recognize it will uh say you know ask you if you want to answer it or if you want to screen it and when you screen it 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 reads out in text like you could see it and it's talking to the person calling saying like the user you're calling doesn't recognize this number can you say why you're calling and i could see <laughs> their answer um you know it's yeah it, it's and they could, they could say like, hey, this is why I'm calling. I could press a button saying like, tell me more and it would have a conversation and I could choose to take it or just say, I'll call you back. And, and I was really sold on it when I was out with a friend. He had a Google, uh, sorry, Pixel 3. And I was like, oh, I heard about the call screen feature. And at that point, his wife decided to call. He's like, oh, here, let me show you. And he hit screen. It's like the user you're calling doesn't recognize, you know, this number. Can you tell why you're calling? And I could read her saying, seriously, you're doing this to me. <laughs> you know? And so, uh, and so that, yeah, that was a cool feature, uh, a really helpful feature. Um, but yeah, but in general, um, iOS is just a little bit more. Yeah, it's just it's just a little bit more tighter. It feels tighter. I haven't experienced that particular thing that you said, but I did experience something kind of similar many, many years ago that was really odd. That I don't know if many people know, will know about this, but um, in like, let's say 2009, something like that, so a long time ago, um, I a friend of mine called up my home phone, or he texted my home phone, right? Which I didn't even know you could do. But apparently you can do that. And if you do that, uh, what? well, back then, what would happen is you would receive sort of like a either a call or a voicemail. I think it was, I can't remember if it was a call or a voicemail, one of the two. But when you would pick it up, you would get a robotic voice. So what I heard on the phone was, hey, Christian, are you going to come to the skate park today? see you later <laughs> i was like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> right, right that you shut all your blinds at that point lock the doors <laughs> <laughs> no but like i i suppose you, you just randomly come across these things a lot of the time by accident but yeah that that thing that you just laid out that just seems like 
just like a way of trolling someone because they know what you're doing like your friend knew what they were doing they're like why are you doing this to me man like, yeah right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's just a new tool for mischief <laughs> I'd, I'd rather someone just be like text me and be like i just don't want to talk to you rather than just Jesus. um so what are your kind of goals and aspirations with with your uh, with your career? Like, what what are the main things you want to achieve? Because you mentioned that you had this major career change, which we'll we'll backtrack. We'll get to that. But right. I wanted to kind of know like where the future is, because a, a lot of people, uh, as you say, you did it in the reverse. You started as an independent contractor and you sort of moved forward to corporate. So that intrigues me because a lot of people would probably do it the other way around. Would be trying to get out of corporate to set up their own thing, so they've got that sort of freedom of choice as far as like time is concerned so what are your kind of like goals and aspirations for your career right now yeah i mean career-wise i think i'm you know pretty satisfied with it um at this point like i think i've kind of reached uh, a point where you know for the next few years i think i'm comfortable with where i'm at uh because i think uh especially with I've always worked from home um, mm. when it came to software development, uh, you know, freelancing. And then the company I worked for was based all the way on the other side of the States. And um, so, uh, yeah, so I was working from home there. I actually joined B of A because I kind of wanted to see what it was like to work in an office and, you know, started in February and then March comes around and we're all working <laughs> from home. <laughs> like, okay. So, um yeah, and so, but at the same time, I got that, you know, it's scratched by at least working from an office for, for about a month and a half. And it's like, okay, this is what it's like. It, you know, commutes still kind of suck. And, <laughs> um, but it was nice to, you know, see people. And, um, but at the same time, I think the difference with the larger companies is, you know, I'm on meetings a lot, even, you know, video meetings all the time. Um, and so you get that interaction. Um, it might not be, you know, in person, but it's a lot more than I had before at, you know, when I was working at the smaller company. Um, so I think, yeah, just, uh, I, I mean, eventually maybe I'd like to kind of move into a, a management type role because mm-hmm. I do, um, you know, when I left, uh, film production and post-production, I was, a, a manager of a, a team of editors of about okay. 35 people. And, um, and that was, you know, great because there's the I mean I think I really enjoyed the kind of the mentoring aspect too um and and I've actually kind of I found I've been able to take on that role by having a larger team there there are people I can kind of mentor and and um and then also you know peers that I can work alongside with which has been great like yesterday I spent most of my day working with another iOS developer you know he he shared his screen and we just kind of walked through code and um you know took a sizable chunk of code and kind of uh, changed it up. So it was, it made more sense. Um, and then on a, you know, on another level, I've been um, part of a group, a really good group called um, Underdog Devs, which they, uh, have you heard of them or? Yeah, the rings a bell for some reason. Okay, yeah. So they, they basically uh, help um, underprivileged and formerly incarcerated uh, people get jobs, um, in development and and so yeah i came across them um a couple months ago and just thought it was really good you know really good idea they're doing a lot of good work and so i jumped on board and started um 
mentoring to developers. And one of them actually just got a job a few weeks ago, his first um, iOS development job. And, and so that's been great. So that, you know, again, that kind of helps that, you know, again, where I kind of want to go. So I feel like I'm, yeah, definitely moving in that direction. Um, and, but it also helps as well because that I, you know, I have, I, I've kind of got back into screenwriting again and um, all the, and also all the way back to my college days started doing um, dabbling in music production again and, and, you know, playing around and recording some stuff too. So, so I think that helps kind of, you know, temper any, you know, feeling of like, I need to, you know, keep, you know, I, I, any need to like, keep, um, I don't want to say keep growing. I, I feel like mm. I am growing, like I think, but in definitely different areas. So I don't feel like any big urge to, to shift anything just yet. That thing you were talking about with regards to like wanting to know what it's like to work in an office. Like I, I know where you're coming from on that. Like I've mostly worked in offices. So like I've always been, you know, really itching to do remote. And then when I finally got to do it, I was like, thank the Lord. <laughs> um, but you know, every, everyone has a different experience, right? But I totally get it because to me, that kind of feels like missing the university days almost as as far as it pertains to like you know missing chance encounters chance conversations you know obviously a lot of the time in offices people are coming and going you know what i mean the turnover rate can be be high not always necessarily for bad reasons just because people move quickly you know you, right. every six months every year whatever right so you know, you're meeting a lot of different people and you're working with a lot of different people and you don't get that experience if you're working from home, if you're independent, whatever. And me personally, I don't think I'll ever miss that because I have work where, you know, I get to work with people. I do volunteering. I do various things where I can have that experience, but I need to be on my own when I'm doing work. Like, um, I've never really spoken about this before. Maybe I'll cover it in a video one time, but I genuinely worked in an office one time where there were people, grown adults, screaming and like throwing stuff at each other. And like, okay, we worked in marketing. Okay, you would never see this shit in like IT. It just never happens. <laughs> people are quiet. They're doing their job. There might be some quiet murmurs but there's none of this because yeah. everyone's busy getting shit done <laughs> right well there's like nerf gun battles every so often yeah like maybe if, if you're I, working yeah. in like a fucking startup or some shit yeah exactly right <laughs> <laughs> but like in the major companies like a lot of the time you just want to kind of come in and get the job done and go home yeah. and you know i guess i was kind of disgruntled anyway but like it, it just really bothered me i was like luckily there was somewhere that i could escape to uh, it was a higher floor because they had like certain levels of floors that you could, uh, that they owned in this building. So they had like a lounge place at the top of the building where you could sit and, and do your work. And I would always go there because it was just too noisy on oh, the yeah. on the on the floor that I worked. And I was like, I <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is worse than school. Like right. how loud this is. But you know, at the same time, you know it is good to have people around you you know it's it's useful it can, it can sometimes help with the work as far as getting stuff done you know there are certain limitations to you know only having zoom calls and stuff and i can only imagine that how difficult it must be uh if you need to sort of communicate with your you know your colleagues in in the coding situation but then again everything you do is computer based and right. you know so there is that element that's not to say that isn't the case with marketing, but marketing is a lot more 
I don't know, it just somehow differs. I can't explain it, but it's like sometimes it is useful to have that occasional physical meeting. But I did kind of find that I could do my job pretty much 100% from home. And like, we'd only really need like one meeting per month. Like there were so many meetings right. where I was like, this could have been an email. Like this doesn't, right. <laughs> you know, like most of the time I'd find myself resenting email, uh, sorry, resenting the meetings. I'd be like, right. I could be getting shit done right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I totally get that. And But I think, yeah, I think to your point too, with like marketing, um, having the people in the room and having that energy, right. I think it's, you can't get that. Like it definitely, not to say like, you know, it gets killed, you know, on video conference, but it's just, I feel like you don't have that synergy just because everybody's off up in a grid and so yeah. that just you know subconsciously or technically it just kind of kills that you know that whatever that extra thing is where i and i i would say that like with technology like with development and everything you don't necessarily need that you yeah. know everything is um a lot more i mean you know just the nature of it it's m much more logic based anyways it's it's more technical you don't you don't lose that or I mean I don't think that things I think it's what you do lose in that aspect is just the kind of camaraderie that you get mm. from that group you know uh being in that group environment but I think that camaraderie I think you know and something on the marketing side and the creative side that goes into you know I I feel like that goes into what the output is whereas that's not you know that camaraderie doesn't really show up in code at this point I think it really depends on your team. Like I've just unfortunately had like negative experiences. So oh, yeah. oh, right. for, for me, I was just very, very eager to get out of corporate. Cause I, the one thing that I was always bothered about with corporate is that I have lots of ideas naturally as a creative person. And the reality is when you're working for someone, for an organization, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I asked you those creativity questions earlier, because yeah. for me, there was always a ceiling with regards right. to where my ideas could go. So you might have like a new manager or new head of department who might humor you for a while, but eventually it's just going to be, no, this is how I want to do it. And you're like, but right. this is not logical or right. this would be better. Or we tried this six months ago and it didn't work. And they're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, just do it. And then right. you do it. And then they come to you like a month later and are like, why is this not working? And you're like, and yeah. I don't know. And then there were so many ideas that I had where they just would never do it or, you know, they did it after I left or I don't know. There, there was just so many things that just pissed me off about it. And I'm, I'm just so glad to, to not work in, in corporate anymore. <laughs> but oh, I, yeah, get yeah. I get it. I get it. Everyone right. has a different experience. So, well, And I, I think like in, in theory, if you look at it, like it seems like, you know, on the marketing side too, there's you know, at the corporate level, everything is also sectioned off. Everybody has their own little area that they work with. And I think on the app side of things and the software development side of things, it naturally makes sense and works fine. But yeah, on the creative side of things, it doesn't. Like you're, you're, you're just not able to, yeah, really kind of expand. And I think after so many times of getting beaten back down, you kind of give up and that just lessens your impact in general. So I could definitely see that, you know, I, I think... Uh, that being said, like, I think um, with development, there could be a point where it's too, you know, reined in. But I think in general, I, um, at least from what I'm seeing, and, and maybe, again, I've only been, you know, 
in the corporate side for about a year now. I, I ask me in a year, I could be like, ah, oh, <laughs> take these chains off. <laughs> I should hope not. I mean, I, I would hope that because here's another thing as well. Like that question that you get in job interviews where they say, where do you think you're going to be in five years? And I used to think that that question was really dumb. And I do still think it's a bit dumb, but I would ask like, where do you see yourself in like two years? I think that's yeah. a lot more sensible because with you, you know, you, you're kind of looking at it like, you know what? I, I imagine like job security is one thing that you're looking at. Like this, this is a lot, you know, more preferable to freelance where I have to, you know, constantly be on the grind trying to find projects and, right. you know, I could get kicked off of the project at any time. And that's not to say that that can't happen in uh in a in a corporate job but like you're protected in the sense that it's it, you know what i mean Our projects take longer uh in general and you know it's a lot harder to, to to end you know relations with someone if you're working for an organization versus if you just have like a, a contract um on a freelance basis the other party can just be like we've changed our mind and now we don't want to do this anymore. And you just rescind it. And it's like, well, fuck, what do I do now? But right. <laughs> so I, I get like the reasons why. And I think that generally what you do always have to have a rough plan. You know what I mean? Anyone that says like they don't have a plan is, is just being silly. They, they, they will always be like a rough idea in your head of like, okay, in theory, this is what I would like to be doing in like a year or two years from now. And, right. um, but that's why that question is silly because in five years five years is a long time but yeah. you could probably map out a, at least between six months to two years that's right realistic. right and I, I feel like five years also you're both sides of the table know you're lying it's like oh i'll be here i'll be excelling at this company you know it's like five years well, no, i mean like, i mean the best the best response to that question is oh i'll be sitting in your chair like we all know that that's yeah. the best yeah right but right. it just it can go either way because either they think you sound like an arrogant prick and they don't want anything to do with you or they're like ha, 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 that was great you're yeah, hired right yeah right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah it could also be a kiss ass type thing too yeah well like, no but it, yeah, that, like, again it depends because some places want kiss asses a lot of places want kiss right. asses but well i mean like with an answer to that question it's like because you'll be my you know boss because you'll be a director and i'll be in that chair and we'll be so happy together (laughs) (laughs) oh i hate kiss asses yeah anyway (laughs) let's move it forward um yes you've worked in a full-time capacity as well as on an independent contractor basis like how what are the major ways that this kind of like how how do these two types of work differ you know, there's going to be obvious answers to this question and we've already explored some of them, but like, what are the benefits and drawbacks of each and, and like, you know, how do they really compare? Yeah. I mean, so I think for me, um, cause I started independent contracting just cause I needed to get experience on my resume anyway. So yeah. it was different. You know, there's definitely a different experience there than I think, um, kind of your seasoned contractor, um, who's, you know, freelancing, uh, you know, contract to contract, um, and, and so for me, I mean, first off it was the pay scale. Cause I was, you know, charging so little just to get the experience. Um, mm-hmm. and I think also I didn't, um, I didn't totally get into these situations, but you hear the horror stories where, you know, the goalpost is moved over, you know, or people keep coming back asking for, you know, new revisions. I, I never experienced that. I, I was lucky enough to, you know, the contracts I had, the people I worked with were, you know, great. They liked what I delivered. I'd like 
their ideas. It, it was it was a good you know relationship with all of them. Um, so I didn't really have any you know horror stories like that. But I think given a year or two more of it, I probably would have run into that. Um, but uh, you know, and then I think I kind of had that. Um, so with the first company I worked with, them being a small agency, I kind of had that freelance feel to it where I was working on a new project, you know, every six months, a new, a whole new app, not, not even like a new feature in a whole new app every six months or so. And, and so that was nice, you know, that, that was fun. It kept things interesting. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of the challenges were the same, but I didn't have that, uh, issue where I was interfacing with the client, you know, um, where, you know, could turn, you know, I, there were people there, you know, program uh, product managers who, who would deal with the client and interface with the client and, and distill things. And I, I you know, I talked to the client too, as needed um, just to explain things or walk through things. Um, but I think, you know, if going from the anecdotes I've heard, interfacing with the client's always the gamble Right. And so, um, so I, I think I kind of came out of that without, uh, having, uh, having really faced that. Um, and then, you know, going into corporate, it's the big difference is, you know, the project is, is the same, you know, it, it doesn't change. Um, it's, you know, uh, I'm working in one specific area, um, uh, fixing bugs on that, adding features to it. And, and that's it, you know, and um, granted it's only been about, you know, almost six months with CVS now. Uh, but, you know, if we reach the end of the year and I'm still on the same, it, it'll be kind of one of the longer projects I've, I've worked on and that'll be that going forward. So that's, yeah, that's the difference. There is a noticeable difference for me. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, sort of final question as far as the, uh, software side of things is concerned what makes the perfect type of software in your opinion oh that's a that's a good question and i i really i think with that it comes down to i think and you see this with apple products a lot it's just the intuitiveness um you know if there's a design that you know a lot of people talk about like you know, it's a delight to use. I think that's, that, that's kind of the icing there. I think if you get, if you nail the intuitiveness first and then make it delightful to use, uh, then you, uh, I, I think that that's the perfect piece of software. And, and I, actually I can point to um, the Tesla model three. Have you seen the, the, uh, so that it's all touchscreen, right? The, uh, oh, the wow. car. Yeah, it has no, you know, it just has, uh, you know, the indicator uh, stock and um, another stock for, you know, interfacing with the gear shift, but everything else is all touchscreen. And if that's not intuitive, that car's not selling. I mean, even worse, that car is like crashing into things. You know, people are trying to figure out, you know, how to turn the wipers on or whatever. Um, and they did a solid job making it intuitive. Um, I don't necessarily think there's the delight to use part of it. There's some of it there, but I, I but I think at the same time it just nails the the intuitiveness and and I think that's that's perfect for it because it's a utilitarian thing. And I feel like that's something car companies have been struggling to get right for a long time. Like I think all their in dash you know systems up until recently have been 
just like, oh, this is like, I have to dig through a menu just to change a radio station, you know, yeah, stuff like right. that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah I, I, I'd agree with that as well. I, th- I think ultimately it's always going to be about the user's experience, UX right. really, isn't it? But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, awesome, man. Um, yeah, let's, let's move it forward. So we've mentioned that you've worked as a film producer and writer. So tell us some of the projects that you've worked on and I mean, you could sort of touched on why you made that switch, but it is a, it is a major switch from, you know, film to software development. So let's explore that a little bit. Like you, you did mention that it was to do with sort of burning out and stuff, but like, why didn't you sort of like take time from that and then maybe try a different area of, of film development or maybe take a break from it and return to it? Like what, why did you just sort of say, do you know what? I'm going to run with this software gig and, and go down that route instead. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, so with film, I feel like I I kind of explored every area with it. Like I did, you know, production, I did writing and directing, um, Mm. you know, motion graphics, even, you know, composing. um, And, and I think for me, for me personally, I I feel like uh, in terms of, because I mean, the overall goal was to, you know, make my own stuff, um, which I did. But I think the real goal was to make stuff that, like, I was proud of. <laughs> mm. And so I think, uh, you know, for a while, I think the last thing I made, um, which was a, uh, you know, a time travel comedy short, um, it, it was, uh, I, I liked it. I, and I thought it, you know, I, um, I did a good job with it, but I felt like I was kind of at the point where I was getting diminishing returns. Like, and I think part of that was just being burnt out. Like um, I wasn't getting, as good as I thought I could be in, in a reasonable time frame, um, where I felt like, yeah, you know, I could definitely see, you know, the act of burnout happening faster than mm. the quality. And I, I think, I think there's a point, you know, where you, you reach a next level and it's just like, that kind of refreshes you. And I, I just don't think I kind of missed that, like kind of plateaued a little bit before that would happen. Um, and you know, just, it was too slow of a rate improvement. Um, I, I, sound really technical about this but it was basically it's just uh you know uh yeah just feeling like i wasn't getting a good emotional return um and and it was coming from me at that point and so hey, you know, fair play man fair play yeah and so that's when it was just like you know what let's let's uh let's switch to software development because um you know because with film writing production all that um even you know doing freelance work and uh freelance post-production for people there's just that abstract area of like it just doesn't feel right it doesn't fit it feel finished with development it's like it works or it doesn't right Mm -hmm. it's you know and so i feel like that's partly why subconsciously i think i was guided to it it was just like it was definitely black or white. And, and I right. felt like maybe I needed that uh, to refresh that, you know, that abstract sense of everything not, and, and, you know, they always say like, you, you, you know, whatever artist, artistic endeavor you're working on never feels finished. Um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And so, but I feel like that's not the case in software development, unless of course, you know, going back to the clients who always move the goalposts, but you know, there's still a hard finish line or a hard, like, you know, okay, this feature is done. Um, whereas with film, it's like, maybe I can tweak this edit and it'll feel faster or it'll feel tighter. Maybe it needs co- better color correcting. Maybe the color correcting is off. And that's why the scene's looking too flat. 
Um, or maybe we shot the scene too flat and there's nothing we can do um, unless we want to go and reshoot it again. And so, uh, but that being said, like I think um, doing software development um, and kind of, you know, let me kind of recharge in that sense. Cause you know, I've kind of come back to, to starting, you know, to writing again, mm -hmm. um, but just like doing, um, doing weird projects like like uh one of the projects that i did like just randomly i had an idea you know i've been watching south park forever uh, yeah. now and i had a random idea of making of after after watching it chapter two that horror movie like uh where the adults come back to their you know childhood hometown i was like oh what if we take the south park characters and make them have to come back to south park and so i made it this you know comedy Ooh. noir type thing and and you know, I was just, I had fun with it and I was like, all right, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I, I felt more pleased with it than what I did in the past. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so maybe I, I've recharged enough and I've kind of stepped away from it enough that I'm not as like, you know, I'm not kicking myself as much. And, and I feel like, you know, being hard on yourself is kind of the one, one of the worst things you can do, you know, when it comes to creative endeavors. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've had a lot of people ask me in the past, like, oh, you know, where do your ideas come from or how do you keep it going? And to be honest with you, the main thing that I do is I just focus on letting the ideas come to me. Like I do have certain things on the back burner for like times when maybe I don't have as many ideas. But if I feel like, I don't know, I just don't have ideas, I just take a break, take a rest, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and right. get, go and get inspired. That's the key, key thing as well. Like if you're feeling burnt out, if you're feeling like you just don't have ideas, like you're kind of sick of it, take a break. Like yeah. if you're not enjoying it, you shouldn't be doing it. That's the be or end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's not definitely. going anywhere. Like you can just come back to it and right. it will be the same thing, but you'll be different because you'll have rest, experiences, time has passed and it's fresh. And it's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. No, like no, you, I totally get that. Yeah. Like you say, and, people and push too hard. People push themselves too hard and they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And yeah. And that's where I, it, it was hard for me to do, to make that transition. Cause it's, you know, very much like I define myself as like, uh, you know, want to be screenwriter, want to be director and, you know, got some stuff out and it was just like, you know what, I'm, something's just not working right. So I just, you know, got to take a, you know, a break from, or not even, I, you know, it was, it was very consciously like, am I going to come back to this? I don't know, but it's just not working right now. That's fair enough, man. Um, this one's a bit of a, an interesting question. I've been asking a lot of my guests this recently, and uh, I think it's always an interesting question to ask. What's the biggest life lesson that you've learned so far? You know, the biggest one um, was actually when I was a kid, uh, you know, I was getting stressed out. Uh, you're about to take uh, the SATs to, you know, the college exam, you know, for to get into college. And my dad just, you know, kind of said, you know, don't, you know, don't basically don't anytime something seems hard, just kind of persevere through it because, you know, you'll get basically get to a point where everything feels all right again you know, they, these things come in waves. And so just anytime things have felt difficult or it just felt like, um, you know, I was down the wrong path. It was just like, you know, it's keep, you know, keep uh, optimistic about it. And, and, you know, the, and, and I, I feel like I, I definitely have been returning to that during, you know, the pandemic because it's just like, 
you know, these are definitely hard times and it's, yeah, but you can look back to, you know, the flu pandemic, the, you know, back in 1918, you know, things did return to normal. Um, and, and so it's just a matter of like, okay, just, you know, buckle down and, and, and a lot of what I've been telling myself and just, you know, people in general, it's just like, this is a unique time. We've been at home. Think about how you want to remember how you use this time because <laughs> it's going to be a memory soon and it's, it's not going to be like this way, this indefinitely. So just you think about how you want to look back on this time and, and think of it that way. And so that's been helping for me. And I, um, and, and so that's kind of, you know, a life lesson I kind of uh, pulled from my dad and, and kind of definitely figured out how to apply it for myself during this time. That's all. That's awesome advice, man. Thank you for sharing that. Like I totally agree with you. And to be honest with you, it's the first time I've heard someone say something positive like that. Like a lot of people have been sort of saying, you know, like, Oh, this is the new normal now and it's never going to quite return to normal. Or, you know, it's never going to end or this, that, and the other. And it's like, no, eventually it does have to end. Like certain things will be different. Um, but I think for the better, like, for example, personal hygiene, like I've been saying this for years, like the amount of men's bathrooms I walked into where guys just don't wash their hands or, right. you know, for example, and I've mentioned this on the podcast again, so sorry for the broken record, but since we've been talking about workplaces, right, there is this kind of underlining kind of unwritten rule about sickness, or at least there was, where, you know, if you're sick, you you need to still come to work regardless. Like you can't be sick, you know. They might say that you get sick pay and blah blah blah, but at the end of the day, if you start being sick and it's sustained and long enough, they're just gonna fire your ass because they can easily replace you. That's the reality. So then there's this pressure to never be sick, which for humans is impossible. We are going to get sick it's a thing that happens. It's just life. (laughs) But here's the thing, like the most, the best thing to do, say if someone's got flu and it's flu season, is just take a day off, take a couple of days off, come back. Then A, you're not going to spread it. Therefore, no one else is going to get it. Therefore, you know, there's going to be less problems with uh, retention and stuff. And B, you're going to be able to return to work quicker. Because if you're pushing yourself to work when you're sick, your body, like someone told me, said this to me recently, and I think this is the perfect way of explaining it. If you don't take a day to rest, your body will choose it for you. And I think that's spot on. And I think hopefully moving out of this um, COVID-19 pandemic, there'll be more understanding and compassion from those employers to kind of say, okay, they're sick. Take, you know, relatively speaking, the time that you need off to deal with it and don't bring it with you. Because obviously if you're talking about COVID-19, everyone will take that seriously, but why not, you know, other viruses, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, but I feel like that's also, yeah, there's a lot of jobs where they just don't allow, you know, they don't have the system in place to allow for it. It's just like, you know, you're calling, you're like, I'm sick. It's like, well, who who are going to get to cover you? You know, they don't have enough people. You it's know, like, it's your like, problem. It's not my problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. And so I feel like there's, you know, there's there's a lot more, yeah, pressure put on employees. To- and, and also, and because also, the thing is that there's always this mistrust thing. Like, I don't know, in my experience, particularly when I worked in like customer services years ago, it would always be this thing of like, you need to prove that you're sick. Yeah. Like, oh, right. well, you, you don't sound sick. And it's like, well, it's not that kind of sick. And like, sometimes I would just mess with them. So like when they would say that, I'd be like, 
Well, I don't know, man. I mean, I can go to the bathroom and call you next time it happens, but you know. Right, right. <laughs> you want to be, yeah. like, I don't know what you want, some some audio visual proof or whatever. Because, <laughs> But that's a problem, but they should trust yeah. you. But because there's so many people that try to exploit the system, they immediately don't trust you. And then that's the pressure that's always there and, and like kind of why you can never be sick. So I hope right. it does change. Yeah, but at the same time, I just don't like it's like what's being exploited, right? It's like either you're just not paid for that work because you're out sick or you have sick time and you burn through that sick time. It's just like, you know, what's to exploit? It's Well, a lot of the time, I mean, because I've had both. I've had jobs where they don't pay you for the sick day. Uh, Mm -hmm. But normally that's kind of a bit dodgy in the UK. I think it's normally like if they don't pay you, it will be because like, I don't know, you work a casual zero hours contract or something like that. Uh, If it's a standard full-time contract, you should get statutory sick pay by law. But here's the thing. They don't necessarily have to pay you. uh, (laughs) Statutory sick pay is the minimum pay that they, that the government pays you or I don't know that you get paid. Right. But the employer doesn't have to pay you at the normal rate. They can just pay the statutory rate. So I think the statutory rate is just minimum wage. So like, let's say okay. you're earning £10 an hour in your current rate. They'll be like, well, we're not going to pay you that because you're not here. So we'll just pay you the minimum. Right. And it's like, I mean, you can do that. It's legal, but it's a bit shitty. I don't know. Yeah, right. It is. But at the same time, too, like it's, you know, then I guess there is that. I mean, you know, that there is that. Again, you know, what, what's being exploited, too. Because like, there's like a, a limit to how much sick time you get right over there on the contract or is it yeah i mean i I suppose the only way you could exploit the system would be uh if you would use your sick day like if you're given sick days where you're allowed to be sick and it's almost counted as holiday i suppose in theory you could take them um as as like holiday days Uh, right i I remember like i worked in a supermarket one time and i worked with this guy who in retrospect was very clever i mean he used to mess around and fuck around that he didn't take it seriously but he was a smart dude he knew what he was doing so he exploited the sick system by basically i think it was every year or every quarter you had a certain amount of sick days that you could take before you got a formal warning so he would take those uh but here's 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 the the detail right it was always periods so if you take off, say, two weeks, right, that counts as one interval. So this was bullshit, right? If I would take off uh, two sick days or three sick days in one period, right, they count as those intervals. So it wouldn't matter if the other person has taken off, let's say, uh, you know, they've taken off two weeks and that only, that only count as one interval. Whereas if I've taken three sick days in the space of like six months, I get punished, but he doesn't even though he's clearly taking the piss. Right. Like no one is sick for like two months. Sorry, for two weeks with the flu. Like that's bullshit. And they knew that he was doing this, but he was clever about it because he kept just, you know, making sure that he turned up eventually and he he did it by that system. It's very clever. But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. All right. I can see that. But but that's the system, you know, their own system shooting themselves and, you know, it's made to be exploited. (laughs) Crazy, crazy. Um, yeah, so you're from Tucson, Arizona. So what are the best and worst things about Tucson, Arizona? 
Yeah, Tucson. Wow, I've been here, um, you know, basically my whole life. I was born in Portland, Oregon. Cool. Moved, you know, when I was two. So, so just enough to get used to the weather there. And now, you know, the worst thing, obviously, in Tucson is I don't know if you're familiar with Arizona, but Southern Arizona, it's it's the heat. Um, oh, okay. You know, it gets up to uh, a couple years back up in Phoenix, which is a little north of us. It got to about a uh, 120 Fahrenheit. That's um, about. Just- 40 degrees centigrade i think maybe so yeah it just it, basically it was enough to shut down um our international airport there because the tires <laughs> were melting <laughs> oh wow okay yeah, so so um so yeah the the heat uh is killer here during the summer how do you cope uh, with the heat when, when it gets that bad like what do you stay do stay indoors and turn on the ac that's uh yeah it's basically how but i mean the but the upside though is you know because of the sun because of the heat and and you know it's pretty clear year round uh we just got solar panels installed um oh yeah that, last year. that's that's a really good um point actually you must uh be able to power so much with uh, yeah. solar panels well so our roof is not like the roof wasn't able to get as much solar panels as we as we'd like to be able to mm. power everything so so we're not 100% solar but um but we're close enough and it you know definitely brings down our electricity bill right i have a friend who he he's got full solar i think more than he needs plus he's got like the tesla power walls to store that you know power so at night so he's like totally able to uh you know go off the grid and all that um but but yeah in terms of things um i mean tucson is nice uh well cost of living is amazing here like um you know, with, with tech jobs, I've, you know, interviewed at Apple, interviewed at Google, and just the idea of, of moving there is, you know, cause here, you know, we've got, you know, pretty sizable house, two story, um, and it costs maybe, I would easily say like uh, a 10th of what just a small, like, you know, two bedroom house out in Silicon Valley would cost, you know, in Palo Alto, that area. Um, and so, so yeah, cost of living is, is yeah, really, really solid in Tucson. So um, that's, <laughs> I mean, there's things that, you know, other people would, would talk about, like it's a, de- it's a desert here. Uh, yeah. People like the desert landscape. I think it looks like Mars, so I'm not <laughs> too sold on it. Not a um, but Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not, you know, I, I think I've just, I like, yeah. Cooler climbs. <laughs> As we uh, draw everything to a close for today, do you have any sort of upcoming projects or maybe some final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, let's see. Upcoming projects. Um, you know, I, like I said, I've been writing again. I've actually yep. been part of the, uh, somehow found my way into the horror subreddit and um, they have a screenplay challenge cool. every quarter. And so I, you know, jumped into that, got a, but of course I'm not, I'm not a huge horror fan. So my screenplay is not coming into a horror type thing, but, uh, but yeah, that, I think, um, you know, releasing that, if anybody's interested, it'll be on, I think screenplay challenge is the Reddit. Awesome. Uh, and that'll be in March. Um and yeah, other than that, I'm just, you know, like I said, uh, I think just final thoughts is kind of reiterating what I said before is just, you know, anybody's having trouble with 
kind of getting through this time right now, it's again, you know, kind of recontextualize it and think about how you'd want to remember this, how you spent this time. Thank you very much. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and a pleasure talking to you. And um, yeah, I wish you the very best of luck in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This has been great. And I uh, just want to say a massive thank you to everyone listening to or watching the Christian Reef podcast. As I always say, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, share and subscribe as always. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, leave us a review, leave us some feedback, leave us some ratings, let us know what you think of the podcast. And yeah, if there's anyone in particular you'd like to see on the show in the future or any particular topics you'd like to hear on the, on the actual podcast, ugh, let me know. And I would love to uh, take that all on board and make it happen. So yeah, thank you very much for watching, for listening. And until next time, peace out, one love. I'll see you in the next one. <laughs>